keep listening, keep understanding, keep knowing where the world is going, stay one step up ahead of it. And, you know, the more agile and the more customer centric, the better. I think those are our partners of the future. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Mincione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Mincione. Welcome to, or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering where technology leaders come to optimize results through successful partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host, and my mission is to help leaders like you unlock the leadership principles and learnings of the best in the business to get partnerships right, optimize for success, and deliver your greatest results. Celebrating five years. In celebration of Ultimate Guide to Partnering's fifth birthday, I'm releasing this special leaders series spotlighting some of the most amazing business leaders that have come to this platform who lift their voices to help each of us achieve what we thought was just potential. This episode of the podcast features Alyssa Taylor, a corporate vice president at Microsoft and an amazing business leader and human. I was delighted to have Alyssa join to talk about her business, how she has shaped her career, and lessons for our listeners and partners on how to achieve their greatest results. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I enjoyed welcoming Alyssa Taylor. Before we dive into the interview, I'm happy to announce that PartnerTap has become a founding sponsor of Ultimate Guide to Partnering. PartnerTap is the only partner ecosystem platform designed for the enterprise. Their technology makes it easy to align channel teams with automated account mapping, letting you control what data you share while building a partner revenue engine. Alyssa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you today as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You and I got to work together at Microsoft when you were in the US sub. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a while and I'm so thrilled to be here and get to chat with you. Well, I feel privileged to have you. You are now the corporate vice president business applications and global industry at Microsoft. And what an amazing job and an equally amazing career. Your work and the organization you lead are really at the center of this transformation and also partnership. But for our listeners who don't know about you and your org, can you tell us a little bit more about both you, your role, and the organization you lead? Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, so corporate vice president, um, I lead two business units here at Microsoft. So our business applications uh, product marketing team. And then I also am responsible for our global industry marketing as well. And uh, the wonderful thing about the role that I have is I get to partner with uh, our engineering team. So James Phillips on the biz app side, and then all of our engineering leads across Azure Modern Work and Dynamics on the industry side, and really define you know, what we're going to bring to market, how we're going to bring to market different aspects of our portfolio, and then work through the channels of Microsoft to be able to make those come to life. So it's a really unique place to be in. It's, and both, you know, both business applications and the industry side are just, you know, they're uncharted territory for us. On the biz app side, we've had um, 
you know, we've had a number of kind of ERP and CRM type assets um, that almost set, you know, as a wholly owned subsidiary outside of Microsoft. And we made the decision four years ago to really bring that into the Microsoft cloud, knowing that the app layer is so critical to kind of the entirety of the services that we provide. And so that's been a massive transformation for us internally is to is to bring Dynamics 365 and the Power Platform into the Microsoft Cloud services. And then, you know, subsequently also recognizing that to be a you know, partner to the organizations that we serve, we must be both customer and industry first. And so a radical shift for us, both from an engineering, marketing and sales to this industry first mentality and mindset. So both emerging areas within Microsoft, very exciting, unchartered otters. And so I've just been loving it. Yeah, it sounds exciting. And you're starting to see, at least I'm starting to see from the outside looking in some of this industry focus, right? So I came out of public sector, we were like the only industry, right? Government, healthcare, some education, but now manufacturing, retail, some of these other segments and teams are now being organized this way, right? So you're you're leading the the effort, if you will. Yeah, and it was thrilling for, for us that have been in the Microsoft ecosystem and knowing how important industry is to actually be able to bring to life. In October, we announced the general availability of the Microsoft Cloud for healthcare. And then just last week, uh, we announced our second offering, which was the Microsoft Cloud for retail. And so we actually now have cloud-based services that allow the underlying Modern Work, Azure, Dynamics, Power Platform, the Microsoft Cloud to be realized in very specific vertical domains for our customer base. So it allows you know customers to take what have historically been horizontal cloud services and have that industry layer that brings very discrete workflows and processes that are unique to every industry. So it's a really exciting time for us. It sounds it. And maybe for our partners that are listening today, can you explain what it is and what it isn't? Is it accelerators like we used to refer to in the in the days when I was there? Or is it more specific around use cases and actually applications? So it's both. Um, and it's a great question because we also get the question of, does the Microsoft Cloud for Healthcare compete with our partner ecosystem? And not at all. It is meant for both our partners and our customers to have access to unique IP that is vertical, you know, that it has that vertical domain aspect to it that allows, you know, both partners and customers to light up their underlying cloud services in the vein of that industry. And so I'll be even more precise. So in healthcare, being able to do patient engagement, there's very specific workflows that need to be activated between having collaboration within the caregivers and then being able to communicate with the patients in a vehicle like Teams and using the Power Platform as the collaboration vehicle and portal for sharing information. And so really what the Microsoft Cloud for Healthcare provides is those workflows that allow you to create very specific caregiver portals and then be able to take that information and seamlessly then provide it out through a Teams channel to the end patient. And so it's those types of business process layers that have, you know, historically, either customers or partners have had to spend a lot of time and energy building 
they are now you know, being provided directly by Microsoft to accelerate the time to value that a partner or a customer um, has using Microsoft technology. So there's plenty of work still to be done by these partners, right? You're also cobbling in other ISV solutions into the equation, other components that may or maybe not be f- finished at this point. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, and I think partners, you know, particularly, and you know, most of our partners are industry first. I think our partners have been, you know, ahead of us in that regard. And so, yes, like the work that partners do to figure out what is the end outcome, you know, all of the consulting, integration work, all of that still exists. I look at the Microsoft Cloud for Healthcare and the Microsoft Cloud for Retailer for Retail as a way for us to help the ecosystem focus on the higher value added services and not have to worry about plumbing together our cloud services. I like that analogy, plumbing together the services, the Microsoft services, because you are, you have disparate solutions across the cloud that you're bringing together here in a more cohesive fashion or fabric. Is that how I'm hearing it? Yes. And we've been, you know, at Microsoft on this journey of where our engineering teams are co-building around, you know, Teams as the modern UI Dynamics as the Dynamics 365 is the ability to have a modern way of, you know, of work across sales, service, marketing, finance operations. You know, Azure is our global hyperscale platform and the power platform is the way to take all of that and automate it, act on it and be able to analyze all the data surrounding that. But that, that, so we've, we've worked really hard to bring those services together in a way that they aren't so siloed. But, there's, but what was missing was that industry layer. So how do you have a Teams channel that's very specific to patient care and management? How do you have a data model that allows you to ingest the data into Azure that's specific to the very, you know, the entities that are relevant to a healthcare? How do you have things like, you know, app, you know, application infrastructure within Power Apps that are pre-built apps specific to the healthcare vertical? So that, you know, we've worked to bring the services together over the years. Industry is that next step of the cohesion across our cloud services. You know, you brought up data here, and I want to focus in on some of the work that's been going on for actually quite some time now on what was called the Common Data Model Initiative, right? It was to create a, a common fabric or a, a language, if you will, for organizations to speak with one another. You now have moved to a new name for that and maybe a little bit more a little bit more to it dataverse can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that absolutely this is a really exciting innovation for us and it's it's sort of underscores our strategy on but you know both the business applications and the Azure side and teams as well. Um, So the common data model is just a way for us to organize data, both in a, if you think about it from a functional standpoint, so how do you organize your sales data, your field service data, your backend, you know, operations and finance data, so that it is commonly read and exchanged across, you know, our cloud services. That common data model also is the underpinning of the industry work as well. Now, there is two, two ways in which that data is then exposed. The, what we had previously called the common data service was the operational data store that lived under Dynamics 365 and the Power Platform. So it was the, the data platform for those services that was a subset of the, you know, the, if you think about the kind of larger analytical data store that is Azure. 
the common data service was an operational data store. And that operational data store with the common data model is what we renamed to be Dataverse. And the most exciting part about this is, is Dataverse was unique to Dynamics 365 and the Power Platform. When we announced the new name, which was Dataverse, we also brought that into the Teams environment, which is really like this allows an organization to build a line of business application using an inherent data store in Teams that can then freely, that data can then be merged and leveraged by the, you know, by the unique applications that you might build outside of the Teams environment in Dynamics. And all of it is a subset of the larger Azure analytical service. Why is it important for partners to get on board with Dataverse? Think of Dataverse as the sort of common thread for any application development or automating data or you know, even analyzing data. It, being able to have this common data service that allow, with that common data model that allows data to flow between applications, whether it be Teams, Dynamics, line of business. And so really for partners, what this does is it allows them to build very unique experiences, applications, if you will, that show up in the Teams environment that can you know, be integrated into any of the other cloud services across Microsoft. And it's a common language in which allows the data to be rendered in any in any form. I love that answer. You know, we, we're living in a world right now where clients are not just picking one solution, right? They're, they're stitching together multiple solutions in order to solve for a bigger issue. I came out of spending some time in the nonprofit space. You're familiar with that and some of the effort that Justin Spellhog did with the common data model and common data services. I also feel that because of this, right, we need to have that common thread. And I think that's what you're solving for here. What are you seeing organizations do or what, what would you say to an organization now to get them on board? Well, and I, I would say this is a fundamental, if I back up just a touch, you know, a fundamental shift in our strategy for how we think about business applications. You know, we've historically thought about CRM and ERP. Those applications, you know, were the, you know, what you would, would ingest large amounts of high value business data, but it also trapped that data. And so, with both the Dynamics 365, the Power Platform, the work we're doing on Teams and Dataverse spanning all of that, our mission is to free, you know, for, to allow organizations to free their data um, to be able, because once you, you know, sort of have a holistic understanding of your data estate, that's when you can apply intelligence on it. You can do machine learning. You really have this, you, you move from a world of reactive to very proactive and data being at the center of that. And so that's why the work we're doing with Dataverse, you know, our strategy on business applications being grounded in data. You know, when I talk to organizations and I was on, you know, with a, with one this morning, it's, it, you know, their data, their business data is one of their highest valued assets. And yet they, you know, most organizations spend an enormous amount of money trying to, you know, do complex and expensive ETL, creating data lakes, being able to, you know, have to have data scientists, you know, come in, create unique machine learning modules to be able to extract, you know, the value out of that data once it's been joined. And so we really want to take the friction out of the system and, you know, allow that data to be more easily transferable 
among the applications that you know bring value to an organization. So are you building additional tools or capabilities on top of that in the future? Or is that something you could talk about right now? Yeah. So if you think about the way that Microsoft Cloud, if I had a whiteboard, I would sort of show, but I'll, I'll do it verbally. You know, Azure is our, you know, global hyperscale cloud platform. We have something called the Power Platform, which is the extensibility layer of Azure. And then on top of that is Modern Work, our Modern Work assets, and our Dynamics 365 assets. So that's how the cloud services compose. And so when we talk about Dataverse and Synapse, the Power Platform is the set of tools that allow an organization to take not only you know, data that lives in Azure, but data from hundreds of other sources. And they can join that data into a Power BI environment to be able to visualize and analyze that data. They can take Power Apps and join that data into Dataverse to create very you know, agile specific applications. They can use Power Automate to automate routine mundane tasks. And then we also have Power Virtual Agents, which allow you to take that data and create augmented experiences through a virtual agent layer. And so, you know, really the tooling that you talked about all lives within the Power Platform. And it's it's why it's such an important asset within the Microsoft portfolio, because it really is that tooling layer. It sounds like you're really, I would say, un- unleashing the power of the data with the Power Platform and all the tools and capabilities you've built. That is exactly what we are doing. Well said. Thank you. So... We have to acknowledge we're living in a time like no other, right? I mean, this has been, we were just talking about this before we started recording. It's been maybe even a year since we've seen some of our loved ones. Um, I'd love to learn from you, like, what what have you seen now that you didn't expect to see since the start of the pandemic on the business side? Well, I think the duration of the pandemic has surprised all of us, you know, and what I am seeing now is, which I think is actually if you talk about a silver lining for both our partners and the you know our partners that serve our customers it is really building this you know seeing organizations build digital solutions that allow them to be more resilient and more durable for the future so it's not just a reaction to a point in time but it's really taking digital capabilities and you know organizations that we see that are weathering the storm the best have built and are leveraging you know, a digital foundation that sets them up for whatever comes next. It's not just the pandemic, but it allows them to be more agile, more responsive, more customer centric. And I see our partners, you know, that are really embracing that new world and that, you know, how do you future proof as the best partners um, that are working with our customers and the customers that are being, you know, sort of the most successful and the ones that are being the most resilient in this time of, you know, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of change. You know, it's also been a difficult time for for many, for the people that we work with. How are you coaching your people differently now at this time? Well, you know, it is, you're absolutely right. Like we just all of a sudden sort of were shuttered into a, a world that can feel very isolating. And so for us, you know, we've worked really hard on positive mindset. You know, I know you've had Dr. Michael Gervais on your podcast, I think he is brilliant in kind of how you reframe, how you both build a positive mindset, but how you recharge. And so I've been working with my team, you know, on, you know, positive mindset, what do we need to do to recharge? And then how do we continue to foster this sense of community 
among us in a virtual world. And so we've done some really fun things. We've tried some new things, but that connection point is so critical and making sure that people, even though there isn't, you know, physical hallways, that there's still moments where we can pause and connect and understand what's going on in our lives and take the space and the time um, to really continue to, to foster the culture that we work so hard to build. Yeah, we used to talk about rest as being going to sleep at night, but now we actually need to rest. We have to rest our eyes, right, from the just the constant barrage of being on Teams calls all day. And we have to rest our brains. Like we are constant at this constant charge state, I find as well. Yes. And we've talked a lot with my team of like, what are the things that allow you to recharge? You know, if it's taking a, you know, going for a walk around the block or putting on, you know, a pair of running shoes and, and going out for a jog or, you know, meditating, but, you know, just taking that space because it is what we've, you know, sort of asked me what, what we've surprised everyone in this pandemic, you know, for our teams, it's, you know, this always on, you know, there is no more commute, there is no more travel. And so you can literally be in meetings for 12 to 14 hours straight. And that's not, it's not good for the human mind. It's not good for the human body. And so really, you know, even little things like taking 15 minute breaks, really making sure for us, we activated a no meetings Friday afternoon. So people could, you know, do whatever, you know, read, run, spend time with loved ones, whatever they needed to recharge. I love the no meeting Friday afternoon. It sounds wonderful. (laughs) It has been an absolute blessing for us because I just, you know, we are on, to your point, virtual calls nonstop. And so just having dedicated space to be able to use, you know, how an individual sees fit has been, has been fantastic for every level of this organization. Yeah. And you talked about growth mindset. I mean, I also think that that's a key ingredient to successful partnering. And, you know, this podcast focuses in on partnering. So, For those who are listening, what would you say in terms of your commitment to them, to the partners out there who are listening to this podcast? Well, I think there's probably a number of commitments that they should hold me accountable for. You know, one is at the highest level from the Microsoft standpoint is, you know, a lot of what we've talked about with like the industry work, like are we providing a technology platform that allows partners to be successful. And that's everything from, you know, ease of use to relevancy to innovation. So, you know, the technology platform and providing that out is critical. And then, you know, for our partner ecosystem, what are we doing to make our mutual customers successful? Are we effectively co-selling together? Are we you know, effectively co-marketing together? Are we learning from one another? I and mean, one of the best I was on with a partner this morning just learning about kind of the trends in the industry and what they need from Microsoft to be competitive and to you know meet their customer needs is incredibly important. And that two-way learning, you know, our partner ecosystem makes us more innovative, build better products, be a better you know provider. And so I think you know those things combined, the technology platform, you know, ability to effectively go to market together. And then to learn and to innovate together. Those three things, I think, are you know what you know what we strive at Microsoft to be able to provide to our partner ecosystem. You know, it's so ingrained in Microsoft's culture as an organization, partner first. And you've been around partners for quite some time. What have you seen in some of the best partnerships? 
Well, a lot. You know, I think the, you know, similar to what we talked about with customers, but partners that are able to, you know, rapidly innovate, to change, you know, to adjust to changing landscapes, to changing business models, to changing, you know, industries. I mean, you look at the just sheer number of industries that are in sort of rapid evolution right now. You know, partners that deeply understand the industry can, you know, help, you know, customers navigate through change. Those are the ones that I think are the most successful. And then, you know, like I said, and then those that are willing to go on the journey, it's that growth mindset. It comes back to that. It applies to people. It applies to partners. It applies to organizations. And I, you know, some of the best partners, we haven't always gotten it right. Many times we, you know, have gotten it dead wrong. But partners that are willing to help guide and give feedback along the way, I just, I deeply, deeply appreciate. I love what you had to say. First of all, you talked about something that I refer to as agility, right? The ability to pivot. Microsoft is going to go in different directions if you want to stay close to the tech giant, learning to pivot along with Microsoft. You also talked about, I refer to this almost in a relationship perspective, like staying close to Microsoft in terms of its plans and understanding where you're going. And so you can more intuitively, maybe it's a micro investment or a micro practice around a specific market or opportunity in order to grow your business effectively. Would you agree there? I would. And I think if I if you would allow me, the one thing I would add is this notion of partners, you know, helping us learn from them. Like I think it's a two-way street, staying close to us and us staying close to our partners. So, you know, we hear directly what's happening in the market, what they need. And many cases, some of those partners are even closer to the customer in a specific industry or a solution set area, right? Absolutely. Most are. Um, for that reason, you know, and I think that's, you know, it's so critical for us to be able to work hand in hand. I spend as much time with partners as I do with customers. I love to hear that. I, I love to hear that. I'm sure our partners listening today would love to hear that as well. So I can't, can't wait to replay this for them. What about partners that didn't get it right, either in your previous roles at Microsoft? I know partners were along for the journey in many of your roles. What would you say to them now if you could? I think I would use your exact words, be agile, whatever your next, you know, adventure is, if you're starting a new company, um, agility is key, customer centricity and agility. Yeah. Customer at the center of the journey, right? Customer agility. Yeah. So speaking of journeys, as you might know, one of my biggest passions is how to help others learn from amazing guests like yourself. And, you know, candidly being a CVP at Microsoft is a pretty big deal. I would like to peel back, if you don't mind, a little bit about you and your amazing journey to this spot in your life. Yes, always, always happy to tell the story. It's a, it's an untraditional uh, story uh, or journey, if you will. So those that are, you know, fanatical about career planning sometimes hear this, and I think you know have a little bit of a twitch. But but it is there's a method to the madness. I started my career in on, on the design side, actually. And quickly sort of learned that was what was in my head was not easily transferable to a CAD program. And so I switched to the account side. But knowing that I had this, you know, inherent love for design and the creative aspects and should have spent the early part of my career in on the ad side, advertising and PR side. And then on the being doing account management. And then I came over to management consulting, which was just sort of a really nice natural evolution of being able to get deeper on the business strategy side. Worked predominantly with healthcare customers. And after a decade of being both in the agency and in management consulting, 
the one thing that I knew that I craved was to see that strategy come to fruition, to be able to learn what worked, what didn't. You know, most of a management consulting is doing the upfront strategy, but you're long gone before you know, you know, really what landed and worked and what failed. And so I really wanted that, you know, to be able to kind of see the strategy through to fruition. And so I joined Microsoft and I joined in a very logical place. I joined as the communications manager for an initiative, which was at the time called the Microsoft Java Virtual Machine Transition. Interesting. And it was a piece of, for those that don't know what that is, it was a piece of embedded software that we licensed from Sun Microsystems. And we were in this, you know, the sort of platform war of .NET versus Java. And so we decided that we were going to migrate on all of the web applications that had this dependency off of the Java virtual machine. And, you know, probably two or three months into this pretty major career transition of going from the services side to the client side, we realized that, you know, migrating the Java virtual machine off of practically every web application on the planet was not feasible. And so we had a very nice settlement with Sun Microsystems and the V team that worked on it sort of disbanded. And I was the full-time communications manager left. Um, if you've ever seen Office Space, I was the guy in the basement with the stapler, um, sort of like, nice. what, what, you know, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> and this lovely gentleman that that I worked with, who ran developer tools, said, "Hey, you should come and interview. We have a position for a channel manager, you know, running our channel strategy for our developer tools for Visual Studio and .NET." And I wasn't quite sure what a developer tool was, and I wasn't quite sure what a channel was, but I thought, well, I should interview and see. And somehow I got the job, and I still don't know to this day what in the world they were thinking. But I got the job. I don't think I spoke for the first month because I had no idea what anyone was talking about. But luckily, I picked it up. I had some great mentors and great advisors along the way, and I really fell in love with the, the developer space. And I spent eight years in our developer evangelism org in every capacity from running our technical evangelism platforms to our first ISV team to our actually doing product marketing for Visual Studio and MSDN and TechNet. And so it was an amazing and the beautiful thing about that time was the developer division was really the tip of the spear. It was how you incubated new technology. And so every year it was a new focus. And I loved it. And I parlayed that over to running the, what was called the cloud and enterprise team, um, Vince, which is, I think, when you and I met. And, I remember uh, that. Yes. yes and, and the primary focus was to incubate Azure. We were predominantly a Windows and Office first company, and we were expanding to be a cloud platform company in addition to being a Windows and Office company. And so that was just an incredible journey of just mass acceleration and growth. And from there, I was asked to come over and take that same type of kind of incubation approach to, you know, redefining our business applications portfolio. And then about a year and a half into this role, we did the same with industry. And so the common, while it seems on paper fairly schizophrenic, the common theme throughout my career is I gravitate to things that are more incubation or more transformational in nature. And I think that's where I, you know, get garner energy from being able to take new emerging technologies, new emerging businesses, and really build the playbook for them. And I've had, I've been very, very fortunate that Microsoft has given me so many opportunities to be able to do that. 
You know, I was smiling listening to this whole discussion. First of all, I was thinking back to the early days when we tried to kill every competitor and that that didn't that didn't work with Java. Yeah. And then certainly the the point where, you know, you DPE as it became known as was really really was very partner centric and in fact as you mentioned the ISV strategy was to help lift up those partners. That portion of the organization wound up now part as one commercial partner. So intuitively, you were working with partners way back in the day. And then this move over here, I, I just, you know, it's very interesting to say, where do you take this? Like, how do you stay energized and engaged now? Like, where are you going to take this initiative and this organization forward? Well, I think we are just on the cusp of doing some pretty amazing things. You know, we spent the last three years in rapid build cycle on the Dynamics 365 and the Power Platform side. And so, you know, and laying a foundation for how we you know, how we both our strategy as well as our go to market. And so, you know, we're starting to see just like we did with Azure, this just rapid adoption, uh, particularly the COVID in the COVID world, just as organizations have to kind of overnight pivot to, you know, contactless shopping and curbside pickup and digital sales and marketing. And so there's, you know, the business applications dynamics and the power platform has really been at the center of that. And so that's phenomenal to see the growth and the acceleration that we're experiencing on the business application side. And then we've just, you know, put our first toe in the water on the industry side. Like I said, October was when we announced the Microsoft Cloud for Healthcare. So really, I'm at that place of why I joined the client side is I, I'm now in this great place of understanding what works and what resonates in the market and where we need to continue to iterate and learning from our customers and partners. So this is the fun part of the journey of, you know, a lot of hard work and, you know, that's gone into the last, you know, three plus years. And now, you know, now we're at a place of, you know, what, what do we, what sticks, what works, what's resonating and what do we need to adjust? Sounds like you're just beginning on the journey. Yes, yes. So like, this is really, like I said, this is why you go from a, you know, services side to a client side, because this is where we get to see what works in the market. And it's exciting. It is exciting. And you know, you mentioned mentors along the way, and I'm I'm certain that you had several. But was there a one best piece of advice you received along this journey? So many things to pick from. I actually, I mentioned a customer that I was meeting with this morning. So I was meeting with Cisco and Jerry Elliott is there. Ah, Jerry. Jerry was my mentor at Microsoft. And I was actually telling her, this was 10 plus years ago. She said, just in terms of kind of how you, you know, you organize your day, it was this notion of, you know, if you think about your day as a bowl and you, you know, focus on the big rocks, but the big rocks in the bowl and then the little pebbles will follow. I was telling her that she was kind of, she was laughing that I remember that, but it's these little things along the way that have shaped me. You know, I would say the other, you know, big thing, you know, Jerry was just, she was so inspirational in how she thought about industry. And she's always been kind of at the forefront of, you know, as we're going into industry with, you know, her, you know, her really starting that ball rolling for Microsoft years ago. But I think on the personal front, you know, it's a combination of, I had an amazing gentleman that I worked for that um, it was kind of right when my career was, you know, at this kind of rapid acceleration at Microsoft. And he pulled me aside. And I'll never forget these words. He sort of said, you know, what got you here will not move you forward. And, and he was like, you, the way that you, you know, what you do is, is you are very results driven. And that is your orientation. And he said to become a great leader, you have to shift, you have to become, you have to be people oriented, not results oriented. 
Mm. And and that sort of stopped me in my tracks because I had I had gotten to where I was because I delivered. I, you know, got shit done. I have a sign. Somebody gave me a sign that hangs in my office back in the brave room that says that. And that was my what I was known for. That's what I was good at. You know, I got a lot of things done and I got it done quickly. And it was this moment where I was like, well, what do do you mean? And I, and, you know, and I started to realize that, you know, you can get things done and, and burn bridges and burn people along the way. And that's not, that's not sustainable. And so it was really a, a shift for me of, you know, knowing that relationships matter, listening matters, bringing others along with you. Those are the things that matter. And then you ultimately will continue to get you know, I think I've proven I, you know, by the teams uh, that I have the pleasure of working with, we, you know, I think we're known for getting things done, but but hopefully done in a way that is with grace. So, what did you need to do differently at that point? Once you said that, you know, I think there was there was probably two things that I did differently. One was, you know, sort of realize, you know, it, it was a it was a lot more of slowing down to speed up. You know, listening, understanding, bringing others along the journey. And then the other, which might be somewhat surprising, is bringing a more authentic self to work. I was, and consulting sort of ingrains this in you, or at least consulting when I was in the consulting world, is there was work and there was your personal life, and the two would never meet. And so I have a friend that called it the, the dark sweater days, you know, where I would literally, I have a creative background. I'm a, my hobby is interior design. I started in graphic design. A lot of the reasons that I spent so long in the developer space is because there's beauty in, in development, in, you know, beauty in both development and design. But I, I sort of never brought that aspect to work. And, and so I had a woman who was a coach that really helped me bring my authentic self in all aspects of my life and really not knowing that there isn't a, Home, there isn't a home and a work that you're, there's one you and, and being true to yourself. And I'll never forget my uh, first, probably first month or so in this job, I marched into, into a Scott Guthrie meeting, our head of CNAI engineering, our EVP. And I was wearing a pair of shoes that I loved that had pink sequins on them. And so for people that know me, and Vince, you probably remember this, I love shoes. And I, it's, you know, it's again, it's part of that sort of, you know, being authentic and the design and the creative side of it. And I marched into an engineering review in, in pink sparkly shoes. And I, I remember somebody kind of leaning over and looking down and being like, wow. And I was like, they bring me joy. And I am, and, and there wasn't a, you know, but ten, my 10 year ago self to your question, I would have never, I would have, you know, I would have walked in and, you know, gray slacks and black shoes and a black sweater. Yeah. Because I wouldn't. Or a t shirt. But that, you know, that type of thing, that is, you know, it is about being authentic and it makes such a difference in how much um, you enjoy what you do every day if you bring your authentic self. I love that. I love that. And, you know, you mentioned Dr. Michael Gervais a little bit earlier. I would love if you could share a little bit more of that authentic self with our listeners. I know you've been through his training. You've been very close with Michael over the years. Is there a personal philosophy that you take through your life? Well, this will be in keeping. Yes, very much. And I would say the coach that I mentioned and and Dr. Mike have both been instrumental in and kind of helping me really, you know, deeply respect my authentic self as we've been talking about. And so my personal philosophy probably will not be a surprise just given what I was talking about, but it is to live life with beauty and grace. Live life with beauty and grace. I love that. And there's beauty and the 
you know, people think of beauty as a physical manifestation, but there's beauty in everything. There's beauty in interactions. There's beauty in learning. There's beauty in new experiences. And so to stop and, you know, for me, it's a reminder to stop and pause and find the beauty in, in kind of everyday life. And there's beauty in getting stuff done, right? And there's beauty in st- getting stuff done. Absolutely. So it really ties in very nicely. I love that. What a, we talked a little bit about mindfulness, but I'd like to come back here for a moment here. Is there anything specifically that you're doing for your own mindfulness at this time? Well, I would say one of the things that, you know, again, if you think about a silver lining in every crisis, you know, you working at home, the pandemic, um, it has, you know, there's two things that have come out of it, which is I have been able to take up running again. For me, um, running allows me to have some time with my own thoughts, and it's a great outlet for you know, stresses of the day. And so I've gotten a chance to run more often than I used to be able to. And I get to see, I have two little boys, they're 10 and 12, and I get to see them throughout the day. And they, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, before we went live, you know, I had a little boy that popped in that needed something. And it's really, you know, that being able to spend quality time with my family and and spend time, you know, recharging, that has helped greatly with my mindfulness. One of the silver or platinum linings is one of my guests calls it with the with the current life that we're living uh, with everyone being at home. So Alyssa, you are having a dinner party and uh, this can, hopefully this is going to be when we all can get together in person, you know, no social distancing or masks. And you can invite any three guests to this party from the present or the past. Who would you invite and why? Well, so you kindly let me prepare for this question. And I have to say, I had so much fun thinking through this. So I have three, and I will tell you why, because it's an eclectic group. My father was a musician, and I have his, he passed away when I was quite young, and I have all of his records. But one thing that you know always reminds me of childhood is listening to a Stevie Nicks record. And my husband just bought me for Christmas a record player. And so I dusted off some old records and played them. And so I thought Stevie Nicks would be just an amazing person to have to dinner. One, because I love her music. It reminds me of my childhood and she knew my father. And so they were you know, in the, the industry together. So I would invite Stevie Nicks. Um, I love to travel and I love to cook. So Anthony Bourdain is my second guest. And just because I think such an interesting person all the way around and somebody that I would want to, you know, bring from the past to be able to get to know. And then on the design side, Carolina Herrera. So those are my three. Carolina Herrera, who I don't know, but maybe you could tell us a little bit more about her. Most famous and what are the most famous female designers? Very nice. And Stevie Nicks and Anthony Bourdain. What a, what a dinner party. I loved Anthony Bourdain. I know. Doesn't that sound like fun? Like now I want that dinner yeah. party. So. And I also love Stevie Nicks. So this, yeah, maybe I could come along. Maybe I could sit, come in. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'd love that. So Alyssa, you have been just an amazing guest. I just love the opportunity to reconnect with you today, spend some time with our listeners. Do you have any suggestions or advice for our partner listeners to help them optimize for success in 2021? I think I would, you know, kind of the theme of what we've been talking about, you know, keep Keep listening, keep understanding, keep knowing where the world is going. Stay one step up ahead of it. And, you know, the more agile and the more customer centric, the better. I think those are our partners of the future. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And thank you so much for being such an amazing guest. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, 
tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by PartnerTap, the partner ecosystem platform most trusted by enterprise. Drive more revenue with your partners and learn more at partnertap.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.